The Game of Zen explores the often overlooked ways in which professional, personal, and spiritual growth are interrelated. We dive deep into the life teachings of the Buddha and the mindfulness practices of Zen, revealing how they can help us dramatically expand our possibilities for wholehearted work, life, and play. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Game of Zen podcast. Thank you for joining us. Today's episode is titled Partly Sunny or Partly Cloudy, The Importance of Seeing Clearly. So, Paul, how's it going today and how's the weather in Boulder, Colorado? It's going really well. Good to be here, Scott. And it's uh, it's partly cloudy here in Colorado today. How about you? Well, you know, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, so we got that going for us. Um, so today... We're going to explore right view and right intention, which are the first two steps of the eightfold path. And there's really good reasons why they are the first two. We're going to be sharing stories from Zen Buddhist teachings that really like exemplify the transformative power of these aspects. So, Paul, can you explain to us why these are the first two parts and how they lead to the rest of the path? Yeah, so we we need a clear view of reality in order to kind of give us a map of um, what we are experiencing in, in the world, right? So our behavior, our words, and even our thoughts are going to be governed by what we see in front of us in the world. Also, our view of what's going on within ourselves. So it's it's basic Buddhist kind of, you know, understanding that our view of the world is obscured by our desires and by our cravings and by our judgments and our and our react reactivities right so now if these things get in the way then all of our all the other parts of the eightfold path our actions our speech even our livelihood they're they're going to be in accord with a disc with a illusory reality or, or a reality that is is kind of off versus real reality. And remember, delusion is the root cause of suffering in Buddhist understanding. It's a fundamental uh, not seeing who we really are and what the real nature of reality is that causes suffering for ourselves and others. So it's really important to have this fundamental groundwork, a clear map, as clear as we can of what's going on so we can align our own lives in accord with that. Yeah, it's really important. And so how would you describe the characteristics of right view and, and how do we really determine what's real and what's not? Yeah, well, a really great question, right? What's 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 real and what's not um, a deep question and one that is worthy of uh, inquiry every day. You know, is is this real or not? Well, Buddhism gives us a few essential characteristics of reality that it teaches um, that a right view is going to have to take these into account. And if it does, then you're, you're getting close to, you know, what's going on. Okay. So the first characteristic is impermanence. The fact that everything changes, everything fades away, and everything is always doing this. You know, even at the absolute microscopic level, nothing is ever fixed or static. And quantum physics is revealing this to be the fundamental fabric of reality is a, a flux of energy with particles popping into and out of existence. So actually at the, at the quantum level, 
the deepest level. Nothing is ever fixed. So if we base our understanding on the belief that something is going to be around forever and isn't changing all the time, that's not right view. And we're going to go wrong. Okay. The second characteristic of reality is what, what we call suffering. Okay. And we've talked about that in the last couple of episodes that has to do with the way that we add extra uh, reactive patterns to our own phenomenal experience. And that gets us out of joint. So you could basically say that when I don't really accept impermanence um, and I try to change uh, reality and what's in front of me, I'm going to I'm going to create suffering for myself. Now, there's also right within dukkha, there's also the, the promise and the possibility of what we call nirvana, which is release from suffering or a uh, cessation of our reactivities, right? So um, any view of reality that doesn't take into account that we're constantly doing this and adding things extra is not going to be in accord with reality. And the third... Um, the third fundamental essential characteristic of right view is is what we call no self, which you could say is a um, in a, a a byproduct also also or, or or a special case of impermanence, which is that there's no fixed self ourselves. So there's no uh, essential non changing perspective that can establish a universal truth. Um, across all times and all circumstances. Okay, so we have to we have to have a view that all of these things are unfixed and always changing. And when we do take these into account, we're coming closer and closer to a view that's that what we, is what we call right. There's one other thing that that is important to to take into account, which is which is what we call the law of cause and effect. Okay, everything has a cause and everything produces effects. Okay, unendingly, there are all there are always karmic conditions that are unfold around everything that we intentionally, or I should say, volitionally, um, do say or even think. So everything has usually multiple causes and multiple effects. So any any view that thinks you know things are random and don't have effects. Now we can't always discover what the causes and effects of anything are, but to deny that things don't have clear causes and effects would be uh, out of accord with right view. Yeah. And uh, what I find interesting getting a little older here is that the views change, you know, you can go days and years with a single view and then something will happen and it will change your view. And I focus a lot now on switching to different views that aren't biased. And I think about things, you know, big issues that are, you know, big or little issues. I, I, I never used to like spinach when I was a kid, even, you know, and now I love it. So that's one little view, right? But, you know, even big things that are going on in my life. So the way I work on it is based on my practice. And um, here I'd like to tell you a quick quote from Robert Aiken, who was uh, one of the first generation of American Zen Buddhist teachers. So he says that it comes down to practice. Practice after all, after all is conduct in keeping with right views. Of course, right views are not merely opinions, not even the Buddha's opinions, but are views that accord with this realization. We're all in this together and we aren't here very long. Let's take care of one another while we can. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful I- expression, right? And there's there's a couple of things in there. Robert Aiken, by the way, is one of the first generation of American Zen masters who received transmission from a from a Japanese lineage. Um, he he passed away just within the last decade, and uh, a really instrumental and wonderful figure in the uh, evolution of American Zen. Um, the the things I love about that what you just shared is is him really pointing to the interconnectedness of all of us is that we can't really stand outside of reality and think that we've got you know the truth that 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 we know the truth and we've got um the 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 possession of of the great truth it's that we're we're really all in this together you know sharing our feelings and our lives and just kind of moving moving together you know, all together. The other thing is he he kind of talks about right views with re, with respect to opinions too, and it's 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 important to recognize that is that the you could say that I have a belief about something, and it could be more or less accurate, right? But the right view is that well, that 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 belief might be accurate in this situation but it might not be right in that situation mm-hmm. <laughs> right the view is that it's provisional you know all of our truths in a sense are provisional and are perspectival you know they have to do with the, the certain time and place you're in so you shouldn't re- re- mistake right views with right opinions or mm-hmm. right beliefs the right view is that all opinions and beliefs are provisional <laughs> right. And speaking of opinions and beliefs, I spent uh, many years of my career working in political advertising. And one thing I noticed over that time was that there's a lot of wrong views and there's a lot of views that are divisive. And depending on which side of the aisle you're on or which side of the country you're on, you really look at things differently than other folks. And it's really our, our country is less connected than and has been. And so when you do that, you're, you know, we're creating suffering for ourselves, but also our neighbors, you know, we're, we're disagreeing on basic things and, and really it's a shame. We need to come together more. And I think that, you know, um, one thing I've learned that you've taught me is that, you know, selfishness really to the exclusion of everything else is a wrong view. We're all dependent on each other in one way or another. So how do we, how do we determine what, you know, if we disagree with someone's view but we have our own views. How do we kind of connect with each other in a better way? Yeah. Yeah. You know, r- wrong views or right views. It, it's from a, from a political standpoint, you know, you can have, it's all opinions and it's all beliefs, right? So they may be more or less accurate or helpful in any given situation. From the perspective of right view, we just have to say, well, how helpful and how accurate is that view in this time and this place? But of course, when you get political parties and you get people uh, identifying behind certain beliefs, they just hold hold fixed to them, right? They say, well, this is this is the case and this is going to be the case <laughs> for the forever. You know, this is the this is the ideology or the or the political platform, you know, that I that I absolutely hold on to. So those are not right view. Um, You you might not be coming um, from a perspective of right view if you're going to hold fast to an opinion, right? So that's that's the overriding part of it. 
the, the, with respect to selfishness that you were bringing up, you know, that's an important part too. Cause if you're, if you're not, um, seeing that we're all really in this together and we're all affecting each other and we're all, um, in some ways, you know, creating, helping to, to create each other's lives with the lives we're living and the decisions we're making and how we're in, interrelating with other people, you're, you're actually not seeing the way the world really is because that's the truth of reality is we're, we're interconnected at the, at the deepest level. Mm -hmm. So if you say, well, these people, um, you know, always want this and we need to, you know, we need to get them, uh, certain things in, in certain ways. Um, you're, you're, you're not really doing justice to the, um, fundamentally, um, interconnected and, and organic and ever flowing, you know, nature of our society. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great answer, Paul. Thanks. And so let's actually move on to the second step of the noble eightfold path, which is right intention. And how does right view lead into intention? Yeah. So, um, it doesn't necessarily lead to right intention. It's, it's another, um, step, you know, to, for us to take consciously is, um, it's, it's just so important to recognize how powerful, you know, our intentions are. Um, and we typically don't recognize how important our tensions are. We, we tend to think that we're, uh, we're doing things that we have to do, or we might have some goals, but goals are different from intentions. Intentions are kind of working at a, at a, at a deeper level. And sometimes we can lose contact with what our deepest intentions are. Maybe, maybe some of us have never even explored what our deepest intentions are mm -hmm. for our life, but our intentions actually do guide our thoughts, our emotions, um, and also our actions. When we've got something conscious that we're putting out there, we're making a decision about the types of um, information that's important to us. <laughs> and it also tunes us into this uh, interdependence we were talking about, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, this, this cause and effect, which is real. When we have an intention and we want something to happen, so we want something to unfold in a certain way, and maybe it's for ourselves or our families or our companies or our communities, when we have that attention, we tend to pay attention to whether those, those intentions are being actualized or not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're, we're incented to actually notice what produces a certain result and what produces a counter result. So it's, it's a very, um, you know, essential way of, of moving forward in the world effectively. Yeah. And I think this comes up a lot in business and, you know, it, it comes up within your own company, but also with your competitors and your vendors and things like that. So can you give us an example of how this comes up in a work environment? Yeah. So, so when we, we, we want to make clear intentions and then we also want to make wholesome intentions, right? So, cause, cause we can have an intention to, you know, get all the money in the world. <laughs> we could have, we could have a very greedy intention, which is a certainly an, an intention. Um, but from the Buddhist perspective, we, what it means to have right intention is to have a wholesome intention. So that's to, you could say, do the, 
the the greatest good for the greatest number um or to be in whole in wholeness both as an individual um and in terms of what you manifest in the world so you know an example from a a business perspective would be something like you know what are you um how do you see your competitors right you could have a you could have a an intention that i want to crush them <laughs> right that that competition is bad and i want to crush my competition well actually you know it's, it's it's pretty well understood business wisdom that competition is good you know that establishes a market for your services so you may want to dominate a market but it's it's rare rarely is it good you know to to crush competition um <laughs> And if if that's what you're if that's what you're uh, targeting, that's what you're aligning yourself to. You know, you may do a disservice to your entire market um, if you've got that orientation. Mm -hmm. So it's it's important to have wholesome intentions. Yeah. So and so I was thinking too of um, there's there's a lot of talk out there about ESG initiatives, um, and according to many people, you know, the view is right, the intention is right. However, the right livelihood and right action are, are sometimes not aligned with that view. So most companies or many companies want to be on the right side of these environmental issues. However, various stakeholders will disagree. So how do we balance those two things uh, that might be in contrast to each other? Yeah, basically, um, we, we should acknowledge that that holding right intention is very difficult in a complex world. Right. It, it, it definitely is. I mean, it, it's difficult even just at the individual level. But then when you get into higher levels of organizations, such as companies and societies, it's really it's really difficult. Right. We, we have this condition of VUCA. We mentioned it in the last episode, you know, volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity are going around going on. So so we don't really know bet what's 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 best and what's to do. And it, it can be it can be difficult to um, say, move from a level of, well, my overall intention is to, you know, do well for my company, do well for my society, do well for myself, do well for my community. These really high level intentions, which are really important to hold. But as you as you drop down into specificity, right, and ho have those govern, you know, broader initiatives, um, it can it can get very difficult to really hold a place that's really wholesome and takes it takes as much as possible into account. So like you said, there's kind of competing, you know, mm -hmm. initiatives. Um, I, I'm thinking of an example of, of the, you know, something like externalized costs. And this is something that maybe it, you can actually work with, right? There's, there's, industries that are that are based on their profit margins you could say are, are almost based on externalizing certain costs right we understand that say the fossil fuel industry has externalized a lot of the damage it's doing to the environment as an externalized cost which society has to bear and you know global uh, societies have to bear while they reap the profits of their you know resource extraction so um, to, to have right intention and right view in this context would take into account externalized costs. It would be very conscious of that. And something like the B Corp movement is a wonderful, you know, mm -hmm. effort in that direction of taking those into account. ESG is initiatives, which you mentioned, are 
in that direction, right? They want to be conscious and everybody wants to be conscious of um, environmental, social and governments directives. But I think the, the, the jury maybe is still out or maybe is trickling in <laughs> on ESG initiatives. And uh, the, the verdict is, is not very favorable uh, in my understanding on you know, the effectiveness of yeah. those initiatives. So we, we have to recognize that is, it, it is, it is uh, difficult to really have clear intention in such a complex in, environment. But it will say, I'll, the last thing I'll say about this is that, you know, the intentions can't just be good intentions, right? Uh, we know where good intentions lead. It has to be intentions with an understanding that uh, there's commitment required and there's sacrifice required right. um, to follow through with right action, right speech, right, right livelihood to really walk this path. Yeah. And I also, I think this is tough and it could be, it's tough for a big multinational company or a small business. And every entrepreneur goes through this situation where, you know, things conflict, profits and revenue goals conflict with how much to pay their employees. Uh, do, do we have unions? Um, how much do I re reduce my carbon footprint without increase, increasing my cost of goods. So there's decisions that are come up every day where you might have one intention of doing something, you know, the, the quote unquote right way, but then you might look at your, your numbers and say, maybe I should do it a different way. <laughs> right. How do we, how do we deal with that? Yeah, definitely. Well, well, we, we hold the, we hold our intention and then we see whether our actions, you know, are, are produce the effect that, that we wanted. And then we and then we adjust. And that's where the, you know, the virtue signaling intentions are just, you know, the, the, those are the good intentions that the road to hell is paved with, because it isn't actually checking back in to see whether it's producing the desired effect. You yeah. can say, oh, I'm holding these good intentions and then we're good. Yeah. Well, no, you actually you have to adjust based on whether your actions actually are producing the result you want. Yeah. Well, so I want to share a personal part about right intention. Um, I got married in uh, 1992, actually, and my intention was to have a long and successful marriage. I believe at the end I said, till death do us part, right? Well, yeah. I'm still here and I'm not married anymore. Yeah. And, you know, but things worked out really well for myself and my ex, and I have two amazing daughters. And so, you know, we both had this intention of building a successful life together, and we made it to 14 years, actually. And then we split up and, and it was it was all good. And my view changed and so did hers. And so, you know, I think that that happens. And you as you grow older, you sort of realize that these are a natural part of life. Yeah, that, that's a great example, right? Is that is that you when you hold the intention of of building a happy life with your partner and having kids, then that is going to inform, you know, how you how you hold yourself and show up for that marriage. And it did, and you did, and the fact that you the marriage, you know, ended, does not in any way um, go against the value of those good intentions or even the power of those good intentions. I would say it actually validates the power of those good intentions because it did succeed for a period of time. Yeah, yeah, good point, and we can move on from that subject. <laughs> but. Um, Paul, I'd like to talk a little bit about right intention with your coaching clients. And first, you know, how do you uh, redirect someone's views or intentions? Or, and how do you evaluate, you know, where they might need some adjustment? 
Yeah, well, I, I definitely don't redirect their views and intentions. I, through through dialogue, I, I try to establish what their view is of, you know, themselves, their work, and their world. You know, they may have a view of their industry or the world and how it works. And so I, I will, you know, I, I may point out areas where I think they might be missing something, you know, about themselves or their work or the, or their world. And that may resonate with them or it may not. Usually, usually it does. You know, we, we can all use a perspective shift or, or a, uh, you know, a guide or a mirror to kind of reflect um, what you're seeing. So I will, you know, help them to clarify you know, their view of themselves and their work. And then with respect to intention, it's very much, much an elicitation process, right? I, I'll ask them, what, what do you want? What is, what is your intention in going forward? Oftentimes there's a half, you know, half formed intention, maybe half to three quarters formed with people who come to me in terms of what they uh, think they want. You know, it could be starting a new business or moving jobs or getting a new job or improving, you know, their leadership skills. These are all examples with people that I'm working with with at the moment. So they, they could have relatively clear intention, um, but I can help them to really focus that and to really, you know, laser focus on what the intention is and then move into, well, how, you know, mm -hmm. how, how do we kind of do that? How do we how do we manage manifest that intention? And I will say that that also there, there's the same thing on my side, right? I I want to bring, and I'm conscious of trying to bring a clarity of, well, here's where I see I can help you, and here's where I, I don't think I can help you, or I'm not the right person to help you, or I don't think you need any help. You know, you you're right on. And I'll say that at every opportunity, uh, especially up front. And likewise with my intention, I, I put into writing with my initial contact with my clients, which once we engage, I say it's my intention mm. to help this person in the ways that we've outlined in my discovery call. And that's, that's what I'm in service to moving forward. And I, I think that provides a, a really wonderful you know, baseline, um, a, a heart grounding you know, for our work together. Yeah. And by the way, you're really good at that, Paul. Um, I, I learned a lot from you when, when we first started talking. And I think that one of the things and one of the reasons why I think it works so well with us is because I was very open to thinking about this in a broader context. You know, I, I came to you with certain situations that were going on in my business career. And, you know, you actually helped me shift my intentions and shift my views into different ways. And the more that I've deepened my practice, the more that I've gotten better at that. So I know that's a recurring theme here, that the more we we work on it, then it, it becomes sort of second nature. So mm -hmm. just I, I'm curious over your course of, of being a Zen master for all these years, how have you done this in your personal life and how has that made it better for you with your students? My to, to be expressed, uh, and conscious of my vows, you know, is, is, is what has guided me in my work. And it, and it, so that means I, I've a vow to help all people, um, relieve suffering. And, and I, and I mean, so I'm not relieving their suffering. I'm helping them to relieve their own suffering. That's what it means to be a Buddhist teacher. I'm not, a, I'm not a priest, you know, or a God or anything like that. Um, but I, but I can help people get out of their own way. And, uh, 
relieve their own suffering uh, because I've traveled that path and I've gotten in my way so much through my life. And that's um, that's what informs my work now is, is my vow to share my understanding around how you can get out of your own way and uh, suffer less and thrive more. Right. So, so that's, that's just the, the, it's the guidepost for me. So if I do ever get into a place of confusion where I'm like, well, th this person is showing up with stuff and I'm, I'm, it's it, 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 maybe I'm a little pissed off because they're disrespectful or they're getting in another person's way in my community. You know, there might be something like that. Um, I can, I can always just remind myself that, okay, what's, what does this person need and what does the situation need? And I just completely take my own ego out of it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's really wonderful. You know, it, it just makes things less complicated. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's really powerful. And one thing I think about too, is that the eightfold path really does work, <laughs> you know, yeah. It, yeah. it, it, you know, the, the better you get at it, it works. And it, and this is why the specific parts of it, it's good to understand it. And future episodes, we're going to go further down the path. But, you know, the more that, you know, when you go further along and you think about delusion and attachment and impermanence, and then you say, OK, well, I'm going to think about right view here in this situation. And you, and that relieves suffering instantly. Many yeah. times mm -hmm. just changing your view about something releases anxiety and stress that's built up over time. So the more that you recognize that happening, that switch taking place the easier it is to flip it in, in, in more situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right on Scott. It's, it's uh, really wonderful, right. To recognize that, that, that it works. Yeah, it definitely works. And we're going to dive into uh, other aspects real soon. Um, but we also want to uh, recommend a book as we always do. And we're going to go back to Robert Aiken, who uh, wrote a book called taking the path of Zen. And I recommend you check that one out. And uh, now we are going to have a little meditation from Paul. Okay, let us do, um, let us just do an intention setting meditation. All right, we can, we can, we can focus on intention for this one. So we'll go ahead and start with the bell. You know, put yourself into a uh, into an alert and relaxed uh, posture. Okay, so whether you're sitting or, or standing, wherever, wherever you may be, um, come off the back of your chair, extend your back and your neck and crown of the head, close your eyes, relax the muscles in your face, relax your shoulders. Take a deep breath in through your nose. And then a deep breath out through your nose. Another in-breath. Tune in to the internal landscape. What is your intention for the rest of the day? Bring to mind consciously 
and intention for the rest of your day. You'd like to accomplish something. You'd like to connect with someone. You'd like to do the best job you can in a certain area. Don't make it too general or too specific. Don't make it a task or a project or a goal, but have it relate to your inner quality. How you'd like to show up and what you would like to manifest. So next, visualize how this might actually manifest in your day. For this meditation, it's good to visualize breathing into and out of the heart. Maintain the awareness of your intention while you breathe into and out of your heart. If you feel like you've ex fully expressed a certain intention and you feel you, you have more capacity, you can add another intention in. And we'll conclude with a final benediction. May it be so.
Excellent. Thank you, Paul. That was really good. Uh, one thing that came to mind for me was my intention to draft a good fantasy football team tonight. <laughs> and that, that was my intention last year, but it didn't work out so well. Mm -hmm. So I have my draft coming up. So what about you? Any good intentions? Um, to uh, have, have a good meal with my family tonight. Got it. That was my second one, to cook a good meal. So I'm with you. Cool. Awesome. Well, this was a great episode. Thank you very much uh, for everybody for listening. Uh, we encourage you to sign up for the Zen at Work newsletter and visit Paul's website to schedule a coaching session. Uh, comment and like and, and upload our, on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you soon with a new episode. All right. Good, good to be here, Scott, and thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this exploration into Zen Buddhism and its transformative influence on work and life. We hope you'll subscribe, share, and comment wherever you get your podcasts. May your journey be one of continuous growth and mindful living. From all of us here at Game of Zen, wishing you peace and prosperity on your path ahead.